Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Welcome back, everyone. We are starting the second half of the Iliad today. We are on book 13, if you've lost track. When we left our heroes, the Trojans had brought the battle to the Greek ships, and they are still at it. Zeus is pleased with his work and takes a break. You know, you do need to look away from your screen every so often, right? Or you get a reminder to move from whatever device you have set up to remind you to get up and stretch your legs. Yeah, it's time for Zeus to take a little break and look at some other stuff. So he does. Poseidon, on the other hand, is still watching the battle and sees the opportunity to direct the action since Zeus is now preoccupied with other things. He takes the form of a man named Calchas and goes to visit the Iontes, which you may recall is the plural of Ias or Ajax. Yes, he visits both big Ajax and little Ajax. He tells them he's worried about Hector, but if the Iontes can stay firm, they will be able to hold him off. And he makes them feel all light and floaty before quite literally flying off. And little Ajax is no fool. He turns to Big Ajax and says, Dude, that's not Calchas. That's a god. I'm so light on my feet right now that I think we should go and kill a bunch of Trojans. And Big Ajax responds with a, Dude, you're right. Let's go kill some Trojans. Okay, that's not exactly what they say, obviously, but you get the gist. And while they're talking, Poseidon is going around and stirring up the rest of the Greeks so that they'll follow the Iontes into battle. And they do. And it works. They start pushing the Trojan line back. Teucros is the first to get a kill, which pisses Hector off, so Hector tries to kill Teucros. He misses and kills a man named Amphimachus. And what do you notice about the beginning of his name? Amphi, like amphibian. And amphibians live where? Yeah, Amphimachus's grandfather is Poseidon. So you can imagine how Poseidon feels about this turn of events. He spurs Idomeneus on, and we get another Aristia, and you can guess whose it is. The suiting up section is particularly notable because he mentions all of his spears. That would be all of the spears that he has won in battle. 21 of them. And each spear represents a man that Idomeneus has killed. Those would be the men he killed before the Aristia that he's gearing up for. And frankly, it makes the following Aristia a bit less exciting. He doesn't kill that many people. I mean, in the whole scheme of Aristias. If it weren't for the other details, such as the suiting up scene, it wouldn't be that different from any other battle in the book. It does not follow Idomeneus only. Instead, we skip back and forth. He kills a couple, then Antilochus kills one, as does Deiphobus. And we then learn a little bit about Anchises, who is an elder in Troy but isn't hated quite as much as Priam and his family, a.k.a. Paris and Hector. And he'll become important because of his son Aeneas. But that's not why he's mentioned here. This time he's mentioned because of his son-in-law, Alcathoas. And yes, Idomeneus kills Alcathoas. Aeneas and Idomeneus fight for a bit, but Aeneas is destined to die later, so Idomeneus can't kill him. And Aeneas is unable to hit Idomeneus. But Idomeneus does manage to kill another Trojan, bringing his Aristia total up to four. Like I said, not the most impressive number, given the 21 spears that he was bragging about. 
We then get a moment that is beautifully retold in George O'Connor's Olympian graphics novel on Aries. And seriously, people, you should check them out. They're well-written, well-drawn, funny when possible, and deeply moving at the points that they should be. Anyway, Deophobus joins Aeneas on um, in the attack on Idomeneus, and when he throws his spear in an attempt to strike Idomeneus, Deophobus misses and kills Ascalaphus. And Ascalaphus is the son of none other than Ares, the god of war. There is a skirmish over Ascalaphus's helmet that results in Deophobus being wounded and returning to the city. But the battle rages on. Aeneas continues to fight, killing one, and Attilicus, Helen. Uh, um, Helenus, Menelaus, and Paris are all highlighted with one kill each. Uh, Meriones kills two. Hector is unaware of all of this. He is in the heat of his own fighting and doesn't know what's happening elsewhere on the field. Polydamas, who you'll recall has always offered good advice, even when Hector chooses not to listen, again offers advice. Polydamas is aware of what the Iontes have been up to and tells Hector that the Trojans really should pull back and regroup. Hector agrees. The Trojans pull back and Hector and Paris meet up. Hector is confused because so many Trojans seem to be missing. Like, you know, Deiphobus. Paris tells Hector of the fighting that's gone on and he tells Hector, not my fault, you always say it's my fault and sure it usually is, but not this time, so there. Or, you know, something like that before he explains what happened in the part of the battle that Hector has missed. Hector is pleased to hear that his brother is finally stepping up, at least a bit. And, as Polydamas had advised, Hector has the Trojans regroup and start attacking again. Big Ajax steps forward from the Greeks and taunts Hector for not advancing faster. And an eagle flies by on his right as he does this, which is a good omen for the Greeks. But Hector, a Trojan, ignores the bird sign and shouts some insults in return, and the battle starts again. But that's the end of book 13, so that's where we'll stop today. We'll take a quick break and be back to talk about some points that might be raised from this book. The gods are busy in this book. Maybe Zeus was right when he told the rest of the Olympians to stay out of it. But when Zeus is away... This book does raise two questions. Okay, more than two, but two that I'd like to talk about right now because they are intertwined. What is the role of fate? And what is the role of the gods? Okay, three questions. What is the relationship between fate and the gods? In this book, we see Poseidon's grandson, Ares' son, and Aphrodite's son. But what protection does this afford them? They aren't gods. They aren't even necessarily demigods. They're all mortals. Two of them die in this book of the Iliad. One nearly died in a previous book. But that last one, Aeneas, Aphrodite's son, is fated for greater things, so he is swept off the battlefield and healed. The other two are not so lucky. So we can see that the gods can direct the battle. They can stir the warriors to action. But they can't save their family members. Well, at least not always. Aeneas is saved or spared, at least for now. We won't see what happens to Aeneas until we get to the Roman epics and Virgil. So what does this tell us about being human? About faith? About belief? About free will? 
Do the gods even have free will? Ares is the god of war, yet his son is killed in battle. At the same time, and I know this is a theme I've droned on about in multiple episodes, we know his son's name, Escalifus. Would he have been remembered if he hadn't been killed in battle? For those of us raised in a monotheistic religious tradition, this lack of omnipotence may seem odd, but if there are multiple gods, can any of them truly be omnipotent? And here we see that they aren't. If they were, would Amphimachus and Escalifus die? Okay, we could get into a whole discussion of Jesus Christ as the son of an omnipotent god, and that might be an interesting discussion for the blog. Um, But what we will have to come back to is the fact that the Greeks were polytheistic. If different gods have different roles in the world, none of them are all-powerful. And if the fates have deemed that a god's son or grandson is to die in battle, die in battle he will. What do you think? Do you have a different take? The discussion is open on the blog, and as always, the link is in the show notes. On Friday, we'll go over the Homeric Hymns to Demeter, and this includes my favorite of these poems, so I'm definitely looking forward to it. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.